Arzi, our listeners know by now that uh, you host an annual or a daily talk show on the radio station we broadcast on 570 News, 9 to noon. I think you're at now. Your time frame changes. It used to be six hours. Now we're down to three. Hey, the older you get, the less you work and the more they pay you. I was going to say, that's fact. Yeah. <laughs> Stick around, kid. Yeah. It gets better. Um, so three-hour talk show, news talk show. We're in the red zone here in Kitchener. Are gyms open right now? Yes. Yes, yes they okay. are. To Ten people. For our people watching on YouTube, yes, those are barbells. And no, they haven't been used in quite some time. So I just, I, I was looking at the video here and framing up my shot. And I thought, oh, there's barbells back there. Oh, yeah. You're supposed to work out and not just drink and eat the entire year of a global pandemic. As the elder statesman in this group, let me give you some more advice. So I just told you how much better it gets when you hang in there with the broadcasting thing, because fewer hours, more pay. It's a fantastic thing. Eventually they'll just realize they're paying me too much for too little work and I'll be gone. But anyway, I'll, I'll ride it out as long as I can. Here's the other thing, young man, use those things and use them now in some way, shape or form. I'm not telling you to go all Arnold Schwarzenegger. That's the old school reference, all Dwayne, the rock Johnson on us. Just, just do something and do it now lest you end up like me pushing 50 and trying to get exercise by going for walks. If I get between 10 and 15,000 steps a day, I'm pretty damn proud of myself. You know what 10 or 15,000 steps a day does for me after drinking and eating my way through a pandemic sends me to the hospital. That's uh, what it does to me. So and that's not a joke. Yeah. So, uh, buddy, I was going to ask if 10 or 15,000 steps is good. I don't know. I, well, I, I don't it, count my steps. It's, it's about 10 K of walking a day. Oh, but okay. I have, I have come to the conclusion just myself that walking is certainly not the new running mm-hmm. and steps are not the new jogging or new dumbbell pressing. So do it now, do it while you can do something when you are your age. So you don't end up my age when you can barely do anything anyway. Like when I get out of bed in the morning, it hurts. It's like, Oh, that's stiff. Ow. There's that knee injury from when I was 14. Yeah. Forget about it. It's, buddy, it's over for me. You still have See, a chance. Here's the thing though, about those dumbbells. They're heavy. <laughs> yes, they are. But they're under only 20 pounds, but they're heavy. I'm trying to be the ghost of Christmas future for you here. I appreciate it. You know, All I right. was off to a great start uh, right as the pandemic was leading in. I was working out like four or five times a week. And then, uh, yeah, just uh, taking a dive. But I mentioned this on the podcast before, how I borrowed a uh, exercise bike. <laughs> that you allowed from- the battery to die on yeah you didn't ride it yeah well they gave it back and i bought an exercise bike it is now downstairs and i've used it once in the two weeks that i've had it so um, i mean it has been used so nobody can say it's not being used we got an exercise bike it's kind of like an exercise bike elliptical combo i can i can see it right here from my spot in the basement we got it for free from some friends that were just ditching it anyway and it wasn't even my idea. It was all on the beloved. And I said, listen, you know what's going to happen? Like any other piece of exercise equipment that gets brought into anybody's house ever, it's going to turn into something that 
clothing hangs off of. That's yep. all it will turn into. I will con- I've probably used it seven or eight times. I went on a little good run for a couple of weeks, like three good. nights a week, but it just sits. It just sits. It collects dust. Nobody does anything with it. And I still try to walk 10 to 15,000 steps a day. That's the worst part, isn't it? Is that you buy it and you're like, you have good hopes, but right. in, the back, in the back of your mind, you think, oh, well, it's just going to be a clothes hanger. And then you tell yourself, no, it's not going to be a clothes hanger. I'm going to use it. Even if it's for you know two or three times a week, I'm going to use it. And every single time you don't, you're lying to yourself. My hopes are still so high that I continue to pay my monthly gym membership. Now, you know me. How many times have you been in the last, even before COVID, in the last year before COVID? Forget it. Forget it. Now, you've known me long enough to know there was a time, a decade and then some ago, probably 15 15 years ago. And and I was a serious gym goer. Like, I would go every morning like clockwork. I was actually in decent shape in my mid-30s. But I, I don't know when I stopped. I stopped sometime in the last decade and I might've been to the gym 10 whole times the entire time. And I'm still paying that monthly membership. Now, you know me, I'm, I'm cheap. I'm as cheap as the day is long. It's 10 bucks a month. So I'm not, you know, if it was 80 bucks a month, whole different story, I would have canceled that thing. But I still think about it once in a while. I'm like 10 bucks. That's like, that's like two beers. Like what am I doing every month? That's $120 a year, Mike. That's a night at Loplops. You got (laughs) to save off that money. Hey, Funny you bring up Lop Lops in Sault Ste. Marie. I think that was our cover charge, by the way, 120 yeah, bucks. Lop Lops still owes us that night back. But let's let's have a moment, shall we? Sure. For former Sue Greyhound and Windsor Spitfire, Jack Campbell, who came back from a lengthy absence to the Toronto Maple Leafs and posts not just a shutout, if I can say, but a shutout against Connor McDavid, Leon Dreisaitl, and the Edmonton Oilers. Does it make it more or less impressive that he did that, that Michael Hutchinson did the same thing a few nights later? It makes it far less impressive, to be honest. But I I think Jack Campbell is a really neat story, to to use a really lame word. But Jack Campbell, as we all know in the Ontario Hockey League, was part of one of... Do you think Kyle Dubas listens to this podcast? Probably not. Either way, one of the worst trades, if not the worst trade in the entire history of the Ontario Hockey League. And Kyle Dubas, the young and up and coming general manager of the Sault Ste. Marie Greyhounds, wanted to make a, a big statement. Well, and- Farwell's frozen right now for our <laughs> listeners. You I don't just know froze. if it's happening on your end or not, Mike. He records these on his computer and then he's the editor guy. So right now, I don't know if that audio is being picked up. Regardless, this is technical issues on the Farwell and Pope podcast, and we have our fair share of technical issues during the season. And as always, our technical issues are brought to you by the Farwell and Pope podcast. I like that, but we're going to have to change it now. It's brought to you by the OHL Stories podcast with Farwell and Pope. I I should get the branding correct. (laughs) Anyway, Kyle Dubas, the young and up and coming general manager with the Sault Ste. Marie Greyhounds, wanted to make the big splash and Go out and get Jack Campbell because that was the missing piece for that Sioux Greyhounds team. And if you talk to uh, if you talk to Warren Reichel today, he will still be chuckling and and talking about how he he took uh, Kyle Dubas and the Sioux Greyhounds for a long ride on that deal. And so so Jack Campbell's name for no through no fault of his own has kind of got a bit of infamy in the Ontario Hockey League, and he was still kind of trying to find his place in the show. And I. Even if it's just for one night, he had that night the other night. And I think it's great to see. 
Good hey, job. there's ma- there's many people talking whether Jack Campbell is the future starting goalie for the Toronto Maple Leafs if Freddie Anderson isn't that guy and if Freddie gets traded or if he gets moved in free agency. So Jack Campbell could be that guy going forward. He's certainly played well enough in my mind, obviously fighting an injury right now. But I just like the OHL connection that continues to move up the ranks. Kyle Dubas is the general manager of Sault Ste. Maria. Uh, Keith is his coach, Campbell, a goalie. Then they go on to the American League. Uh, Dubas is the general manager of the Marlies, assistant then with the Maple Leafs. Keith is the coach. And now in Toronto, all three of them again unite as a Maple Leaf. I love it that uh, Dubas is going with the horse he rode in on, really. And he's obviously got a great connection with Keith and trusts that Jack Campbell can turn things around. Because, yeah, that trade didn't end up the way he would have liked. But I, looking back at that trade, yes, he may have lost the trade looking back at it. But you still make that trade if you're him, don't you? If you go back in time, like you got to shoot your shot. Jack Campbell was outstanding in Windsor. Oh, and The Sioux was going for it. So you got to take your shot. Yes, but and, – and who knows what the market – really was or what yeah. you know Ward Reichel led uh, Kyle Dubas to believe the market was but yeah you want to go and get your guy I don't know that you needed to spend the the nine pieces that he spent on on getting the guy and that was back before things got really crazy mm-hmm. in the Ontario Hockey League around trade deadline time so maybe it, it was you know it, it accelerated those insane deadline day deals in the OHL but nonetheless and Talking about those Sioux connections with Kyle Dubas still and, and the Toronto Maple Leafs, Jake Muzzin is on his blue line right yeah. now. And though it's a much different story, let's not forget that Joe Thornton played his OHL games in Sault Ste. Marie. So that's there too. Was Dubas the stick boy during Thornton's time or was he even bored yet? He might not have I don't been. know where that. I saw a great, uh, great picture online that said, said, if you could send this picture to yourself in 2004, what would you say? And it was of the Leafs bench. And it was Tavares, Thornton, and Spezza, <laughs> all in Leafs jerseys. Like 10 years ago, you would have thought, what? I just I thought it was a great picture. Hey, you know, listen, and Spezza's having himself another OHL product out of Brampton and, and Mississauga for a, a minute, too. What a uh, season. Himself, yeah, not bad for an old bugger, eh? Right. And a guy who like you look back a couple of years ago, he was scratched by Babcock against the Sens. I think it was to open the season or the first visit back to Ottawa as a leaf scratched. And he was in and out of the lineup and stuff and kind of buried. And now he finds a spot on that fourth line veteran leadership and he's putting up points. I, I am not a fan of the Leafs. My allegiances are quite clearly to a regular listener of this podcast to the Detroit Red Wings. We won't talk about them this year. That's fine. But I love watching this Leafs team right now. And in part because of guys like Thornton, who's a hundred years old playing on their top line when he's healthy. And a guy like Spezza who just continues to get it done. I love seeing Spezza succeed because he's a guy that's changed his game completely and found a spot in that lineup because he can win face-offs and he works hard. I, I just think, and anytime you see an interview with him, you just love the guy. Like he's got that stupid laugh. And I just think that room must be hilarious with him and Jumbo in there. We had Stan Butler on this podcast when he was still in, in the OHL. And we're going to have to get him back on just to talk about Jason Spezza and maybe some others. Now that, now that Stan has yeah. taken a bit of a step away, he might, he might share even more stories if he comes back on this podcast. I think it would be great. I wonder what he's doing right now. Listening to this podcast. What else is he doing? Probably just hanging out with his dog, Crosby. <laughs> right? And his kid. Enjoying life where he doesn't have to go to the rink all the time. Um, We've on this podcast, we haven't talked about this. Excuse me. I just wanted to bring up quickly um, on this podcast. We often um, make reference to Tim and Sid and Sid Sixero leaving Tim and Sid 
last week, I just wanted to say congrats to Sid. I'm sure he watches all the time because it's another Rogers product. Um, but we tend to, I say uh, often emulate them, um, or duplicate them, steal from them, quite frankly. Um, I just thought of it when I was looking at the screen here and we're both side by side and that's how we, I always watch the program. So congrats to him. That's all. Yeah. Our, uh, R and D department is research and duplicate for sure. I can, I can take you behind the curtain just a little bit when it comes to Tim and Sid, because we already joked at the, at the start of this, how little I work for the amount of money that I make. Like, I mean, they, they, they bring my paycheck over in a dump truck. Like we know how this works. Yes. Right? Yeah. Naturally. It's, it's pretty crazy. I had to expand the driveway just to fit in the uh, heavy machinery. That's how you can afford those bottles of booze behind you. hundred percent. Yeah. Actually, I have, I have free weights. If, if the truth of it is told, I, I get paid in booze. They don't pay me near <laughs> enough to, to afford the drinks. Uh, anyway, having, having spent some of my Rogers career, the, the great joke in broadcasting is, oh, you do a three-hour show. Must be nice the other 21 hours of the day. And, and those of us who do the work that we do will inevitably try to defend that and say, well, it's more than just the three hours, but really, I'm not going to try to make any excuses. We're not splitting atoms. We're not birthing babies. We're talking on the radio. Hey, you, already, you already buried Greg Brady saying he showed up right on time. <laughs> if so, he was on time. Yeah. To, to Greg Brady, the 5.30 show start was about 5.34. And that's the truth. So right. he owes the company four minutes for every day he did that show. Hey, there's many stories of Bob McCowan showing up literally a minute before going on air, look, walking and grabbing his coffee and going on air and doing a three-hour broadcast. And let me tell you a little bit about that. Again, having worked for a spell at Sportsnet 590, the fan. McCowan would have a like a sheaf sheaf of papers like this thick, and I'm really holding my thumb and forefinger a, a decent ways apart. His producers would have to print everything because it had to be old school with Bob. So he had the ideas of kind of where he was going to go, but Bob had settled into his routine rather comfortably. But the amount of paper, like I think we we might have you know gone right through Algonquin with all the trees <laughs> that were killed printing off McCowan's uh, notes for a show. But back to Tim and Sid, when I was doing mornings on the fan uh they were doing the one to four uh, afternoon show right after either hockey or baseball central noon to one so consider that our show in the morning would go from 5 30 until nine so we're on the air for three and a half hours and then after nine o'clock there's the daily debrief about the show and the other stuff that needs to be done etc cetera, etc cetera. i would on a bad day, on a bad day, I was getting out of the station by about 11 o'clock. It was usually closer to 1030. But by the time I was leaving at 1030-ish in the morning, Tim was already there. Tim was there by 1030, probably by 10, starting the preparation for his one o'clock show. Tim was meticulous, right? Everything it's not like anything was scripted, but there was definitely an idea of where things were going to go and how things were going to play out. Sid would come in a little bit later, but by 10 o'clock, 1030 in the morning, several hours before the one o'clock show, they were there putting in the hours to get the show ready. That's how dedicated they were to it. Even back when I was working near them, 2011 to 2013. So every ounce of success they have achieved, in my opinion, absolutely earned. And I echo what you said. I mean, kudos to Sid. He's going to be great on breakfast television. I don't know what Tim's going to do without him. He's going to miss him and then find somebody else to do great work with because Tim does great work too, but they really do work hard at what they do. They do. Tim and friends starting on March 8th. I love it. Um, I can't wait for to, my invite. I know everyone says, why don't you hop on there? I'm like, yeah, cause that's, that's a natural career progression. <laughs> from, 
our our <laughs> OHL podcast to a nationally broadcasted sports show on Roger Sportsnet um, and the Fan Five Ninety. Uh, but they used to do these, used to release these videos, and they'd show um, it was like Facebook Live and whatever, and they would show their pre-show meeting. And the breakdown of it all. It was amazing. All the stuff that would be on the whiteboard and how they'd be talking about what the lead was going to be and so on as a broadcast nut and obviously a, a avid fan of their show. Um, I didn't miss it very often. Uh, it was great to just see and the amount of work that they put in, as you said. So would you be inspired, Popey, to pick up those weights behind you, maybe uh, crush out a few curls? If I told you that you had to be in shape for the season that's about to start, would that be the inspiration, the kick in the ass you need to get those dumbbells working again it would very much be a tim and sid move if one of the co-hosts went over there and picked up the weights because that (laughs) had nothing to do with the show but quite frankly i uh i signed up for a gym membership today (laughs) i'm not even kidding of course you did i'm not even kidding i signed up for a gym membership today because i put on a shirt the other day to go to work for the first time in forever like a collared shirt because i was going to see customers obviously that we weren't aren't in lockdown now and this collared shirt, I've worn it numerous times. And that day I did not. And I thought, <laughs> if this is the just button a, or two? Yeah, I was like, oh boy. And I thought, you know what? If this is how it's going to be, I don't know if I could go to a Rangers game wearing a suit. Like, But then th- that leads me to something else where I'm going to the gym to try to get in shape so I can fit into this stuff. But am I even going to need it? Because we talked with David Branch last week and numerous people have asked me, this week about is the OHL going to have a season? When's it going to start? So on and so forth. What did you think from Branch? Did he say anything after the podcast? And the one thing I we didn't talk about, because quite frankly, it just would have been selfish to bring up, but I did want to ask him is, how are the fans going to intake the OHL product? Because as it stands right now, the majority of belief is that they're going to have, <clears throat> excuse me, some sort of a hub city or hub cities around the OHL, around the province. So how are these fans going to intake a game if the Kitchener Rangers are playing in Sault Ste. Marie? Let's say, for instance, Sault Ste. Marie is a hub and the Kitchener Rangers are in that hub city. How are fans here in Kitchener or in London going to intake that game? They're not, I can't envision a world if they're not allowing fans into the building that they allow five different radio crews to make a you know trip up there three times a week and all the radio people going into the same booths touching the same surfaces over and over the media rooms i can't imagine any of that any of our life mike being the same so when it comes to the television broadcast and then the radio broadcasts for each individual ontario hockey league team i'm curious even if it is on the ohl spectrum of planning this season is it going to be one radio team or one uh, radio broadcast for everything and then they simulcast it somehow is it going to be a strictly ohl feed and they just get the host city broadcasters to broadcast that hub city all the games it's it's part of it that albeit selfishly i'm very curious about mostly because i want to know if i'm going to be working but two because i'm just a broadcast nut and i'm really interested in how the ohl is going to go about it because then you start talking about the broadcast rights and all the different holders in separate cities between shaw bell and rogers i just don't know how it's going to be and how fans are going to be able to watch or listen to their favorite ohl teams here are a few things that i know for sure this past week uh, the quebec league allowed media and scouts back into their arenas 
So that bridge has been crossed, at least in the queue. I, I also find it deeply weird, to be perfectly honest with you, that it seems that essentially every league everywhere is playing aside from the Ontario Hockey League. Like it's, it's just weird. Like the AHL and the NHL and the WHL now and the QMJHL and, and minor hockey and so on and so forth. Like it's just, it's a little bit weird. I can tell you from our side of things, and I mean specifically within our Rogers family and 570 News, which is really the host of this podcast. That's where it originates from, despite the fact that we're both in our basements right now. But It also hosts the Mike Firewall Show, 9 to noon, Monday through Friday. <laughs> that's the second plug for the show. They owe me a little something extra in my paycheck on Friday, as Don Cameron would have said. But yes, and, and 570 News is the rights holder for Kitchener Rangers games in the region of Waterloo. I, I can tell you that the powers that be at 570 News are very anxious to have some kind of hockey returning because that gives us some kind of programming that we can sell on the radio station, which of course is what it's all about. I know for sure that if there, and these are all just the ifs, but these are some of the the I's that have been dotted or T's crossed within the radio station. If there is travel being done, you and I will not be traveling with any hockey team on any bus ever. So does that mean we're taking ourselves to whatever game or whatever hub city? I don't know, because as you've already asked, does that hub city allow people into the building? I think it's a great question that you're asking. If I'm guessing and I'm strictly guessing, I would say what the OHL does to allow fans to take in the games is to just provide that sort of high camera follow camera that you can get on the OHL package. And it would just be a straight video feed without any audio, because of course people like you and I are eminently replaceable in this business. That's my, that's my guess. So then there, it takes me back to, you can't have fans in the stands and then they're going to watch a, just a, steady cam like a follow cam up top with no idea who has the puck no idea like i I don't know it's just we've seen it happen last year and the year before where a couple of the ohl television broadcasts specifically mississauga and i think there was one other one were pulled and they still broadcasted that game but it was exactly as you said the high up top follow cam just you know, wide shot following the puck. And how enjoyable is that for fans to watch? Is that doing your fans a disservice? I know it's some um, awful circumstances with the COVID and everything like that, but I just don't, I feel like there has to be a way, whether it's that hub city TV or radio team that is calling the games on that steady cam. Like if, if I'm let's talk Kitchener because we're, I, I know some people aren't going to like it, but we're, let's talk Kitchener because we're most familiar with that. Is there not a way that one of the broadcast teams goes in and calls every single game with that steady cam going? You don't need the intermission interviews. You don't need all that kind of stuff. Dumb it down simple. But at least then fans in North Bay are able to watch the North Bay Battalion play a hockey game and hear their the players called. And more importantly, the parents of every one of these teams hearing their kid's name and knowing that if sort of an injury happens, you know, like someone goes to the bench limping, all of a sudden that mother's at home losing her mind and there's nobody on the broadcast to say, Oh, he went down the tunnel or, Oh, he's on the bench with the trainer. He's fine. You know, there's a lot of things that come into play. And I am just curious as to what, what plan the Ontario hockey league has when it comes to 
projecting their game to the people that aren't allowed to attend. Yeah, and I, I think it's going to be imperfect uh, no matter what. You, you make a, a number of really good points, but you're also making those points, I think, as someone who has grown accustomed to the game being broadcast Absolutely. in a certain way, right? And you're even closer to it as one of the broadcasters. So Full bias. Yeah, and, and I mean, Full if, bias. We're, if we're talking a, a 20 to 30 game schedule over a couple of months, look, there there's going to be that, hardcore contingent of fans that will watch the game in slow motion if that's all they can get right they'll yeah. watch it on a dial-up internet connection if something like that still exists that's how oh, yeah, desperate they, they are right that's how desperate they are for the game so that contingent will be with the the league come heck or high water it would be imperfect but there's lots of time beyond this season to improve things we might also be overlooking perhaps one of the more obvious choices, and that is the team from Rogers Sportsnet, because let's not forget that Rogers is the overall rights holder to the Canadian Hockey League. And so maybe it's RJ and Sam and, and Falzi coming out and doing games in a hub city and treat it very much like a Memorial Cup. And these games will be broadcast on Rogers Sportsnet or across the OHL. You lost your audio pack. again there, Mike. I can't not hear you. I don't again. know if it's your end that's picking up on the recording or if it's mine, but I just thought I'd bring it up that the audio is not there. I would love to see the Rogers Sportsnet crew call as many OHL games as they can because I think they're fantastic at what they do. But if the OHL is talking about multiple hub cities, it's not like we can have Falzi and RJ uh, and Sam traveling around to four different cities at numerous times. No, I think you're hearing me now. Can you hear yes. me now? Okay. Yeah. It's, These it's, technical difficulties brought to you by OHL Stories with Farwell and Pope. Yeah, the, the travel would be absolutely a, a big thing to overcome. And I, I, I just, I wonder how far down the priority list. Like when you start, when, when, when you're sitting around those governor's meetings and you're talking about bringing the league back in some form, where do you, like, this is probably below 10 on the oh. priority list. I think it's the last thing to figure out, to be I, honest with you. Like, and, but just selfishly, I said, you know, like, and I'm talking about, I was talking with a fan and they said, well, how are we going to be able to watch the games? I'm like, I don't know. That would have been a great question for David Branch. <laughs> <laughs> I thought about it, but I don't know if he has an answer right now. Um, this whole thing started because you were talking about, isn't it weird how we don't have a solution yet? And the Q and the dub do. And I was reading Twitter last week or this week. And I can't remember who it was, but they brought up a point that got me thinking. We're sitting here in Ontario waiting. The Western provinces have all given the go-ahead. The Eastern provinces have all given the go-ahead. We are the last province to give the go-ahead on games in this Canadian Hockey League. There are, let's say, 20 teams or 20 players per team, let's say. That's 400 families. Am I math correct there, Mike? 20, 20, 20, 400 families. They're all voters that are clearly after looking at a letter from the players and letter from parents being sent are clearly pressuring the government to give the okay for a season. That's just the 400 immediate players families. And you start expanding how many families and season ticket holders and avid fans of this league and people that are involved in this league sponsors of this league, how angry are they going to be? if the provincial government continues to turn down OHL's plans to move forward and how might that affect the provincial vote? 
Just something to think about. Yeah, it, it's it's interesting, again, uh, much like talking about how the league would broadcast its games if it gets going with a season. But again, if you're talking priorities, you know, I think we've got a, a, the provincial government in Ontario that is far more concerned with teachers unions and healthcare unions and small business owners to worry about fans and, and families attached to the Ontario Hockey League. That being said, you're right, there is a political price to either be paid or some political opportunity to be gained in, in some measure for sure they can't figure out how to get the vaccines out of the fridges let alone an ohl season don't even don't like, even get me started on let's that, go here right? i'll tell you what start the league and then have mass vaccinations on the way into every game it'll be perfect get thousands and thousands of people done yeah we could go down a whole other rabbit hole that would take us right to the end of the mike farwell show <laughs> Tomorrow at noon on 570 News. Okay, no, until um, I, I read, nine till noon. Get it right. right when you're gonna yeah, the end of the show was at noon. Correct. The end yes. is at noon. Um, <laughs> I say this after about a 20-minute intro, I'm assuming, but I read something about podcasts. They were like, hurry up and get to your guests. So, <laughs> <laughs> let's do that part then. Let's hurry up and get to our guests. I would, I, I tend to, um, and I don't know if, it's, if we go back and forth or how it works, but I tend to do a bit of an intro for the guests. But for this guest, Mike, I think you are more apt to do the intro because you have known him longer and worked with him longer. Hmm. I'm putting you on the spot. You are, but that's because I was, I expect you to do this now. We've kind of developed, well, then you do it. If, if Again, I'm losing, I don't know yeah, if your you. audio is being picked up on it's, the recording, so don't swear. I'm just talking to let you know that I can't hear you. <laughs> so I'm going to let there you, you go. We're your back. We're back. No, I'm just, see this. I thought this was the sign Popey that you are to intro the guest. I was expecting this of you. I've oh. come to expect it. Okay. Um, from Estevan to Kitchener with a few stops <laughs> in between. I, I can't name them all. I'm sorry. There's just too many. Um, he has long lost Doyle cousins throughout the Ontario hockey league in Rick and Terry. I'm kidding. They're not related, but three Doyles cover three different markets in Southwestern Ontario. Uh, the name Gary Doyle is quite frankly, for anybody who has followed the Kitchener Rangers in the last 10 years, synonymous with the team after covering the Rangers on 570 news and then doing play by play for the Rogers TV program. Anybody who is a frequent listener to 570 news knows the name Gary Doyle. There is no ifs, ands, or buts. He has seen a lot and called a lot of hockey, and we were glad to grab some OHL stories from Gary Doyle. See, you're good at this. Why would I, why would I mess with that? Well, Gary, I know we call this OHL stories, but before we get into those, and I know you're going to have many, uh, the path for you actually begins a couple of provinces west of Ontario in your native Saskatchewan. Now, I know Estevan was on that list, and I can't remember if Weyburn was just a city you've, or a town you visited on the, on the circuit, or you, you worked there as well. But take us back to the roots of hockey broadcasting in Saskatchewan before we get to the OHL. Well, in the prairies, Weyburn and Estevan are both cities. So (laughs) they would be basically blips on the map here. Both of them have about 10,000 people. They're both about 10,000 people when I got there. and Not much has changed. Um, I did go to Weyburn first. I did three quarters of a season in Weyburn. I I was working in Renfrew up in the Ottawa Valley doing junior B hockey. And uh, the guy that owns the radio stations in Saskatchewan that hired me was in Ottawa at a conference. And the taxi driver... Um, 
that was taking him to the hotel was listening to my call of a game. And he wrote down the name and the call letters and phoned me the next day and offered me a job. That's how I got to Saskatchewan, which is really bizarre. I never applied. He kind of came after me. And I finished out the year in Weyburn because his play-by-play guy there was not, was having his own health issues. And the deal was I'd finish the year in Weyburn and then he had moved me to Estevan and I would take over calling Bruins games down in the Southeast. So I spent five years in Estevan. Uh, after my three quarters of a year in, in Weyburn, I still have dear friends in, in Estevan. I go back every time I'm back in Saskatchewan, which is generally every other year we try to get back. And I spent my last two years in Regina. I didn't do Pats games. I covered the Pats. And back then, most broadcasters traveled alone uh, with the team. So particularly one guy, Roger Millions, who uh, was Roger Millions when I knew him. Now he's like less than half a million. He's uh, lost so much weight. Roger looks great. He was doing uh, Saskatoon Blades play-by-play at the time. And when they came to town, uh, he would give me 25 bucks and I'd do color for him. And we'd sit up in the press box right beside the PA announcer, uh, a guy by the name of Larry Malott. (laughs) (laughs) What a small, small world. And in Estevan, I remember, sorry, Chris, but this ties in nicely because I remember the 2008 Memorial Cup in Kitchener. You had a picture that you were able to take that was a bit of an Estevan reunion at the Kitchener Memorial Auditorium. Well, there was a lot of us that were actually there from Estevan, uh, Lorne Fry, who was the uh, was he chief scout or general manager of Kelowna Rockets. He was the, he was the chief scout for Estevan uh, when I was there, and there was a couple other guys in the crowd too. But my favorite picture from the 2008 Memorial or Memorial Cup in Kitchener that I still got is me along with Terry Doyle and Rick Doyle. Uh, we posed for a picture because we're not related in any way or any of the three of us related <laughs> at all. Yet we're all, we're all calling games in the Ontario Hockey League. So that was fun. My favorite West connection at the Memorial Cup. When I was in Estevan, the captain was a guy by the name of Grant Fagerheim who has gone on to, uh, uh, he runs an oil company. So he's done okay for himself. Uh, played a couple exhibition games in the NHL, but that's as far as his career ever took him. Um, he was, he was, probably the most dominating center I'd seen at the junior A level. And Mark Habscheid was the captain of the Saskatoon Olympics back then. And uh, we were playing Saskatoon in uh, semifinals and Habscheid was useless. I mean, he led the league in scoring, but he was just skating around. He was, he looked like he was afraid of Grant Fagerheim. So I asked Grant after the series was over, what did you say that got Habscheid off his game? And he said to me, I told him if he touched the puck, I'd cut his eyes out. And, uh, he said he believed me. So now flash forward to 2008, and we're at the Memorial Cup in Quebec City, and Mark Hapshide's coaching um, Kelowna. So after the meet the coaches press conference, I go up and reintroduce myself to Mark because he wouldn't have remembered me, I don't think. And I said, Mark, my name's Gary Doyle, and I spent five years, uh, late 70s, early 80s, broadcasting Estevan Bruins games. And he looked at me and said, Grant Fagerheim threatened to cut my eyes out. <laughs> Like 30 years later, and he's still afraid of him. Um, that's, that's a powerful player. How did you find your time out West back then? Well, I loved it. I absolutely loved it. Um, I met Brenda there, so you know, there's, that, that makes it a lot easier. Those 15 months of winter every year is a bit much. Um, so this year, when I, when I look back now, and it's like minus 46 in Regina, and I think I'm so glad I didn't, that I didn't stay. The last year we were in Regina – uh, in February, it warmed up to minus 40, and we went for a walk. It felt refreshing because it was <laughs> like there were a couple of days that month, and I've had this conversation with a few people. 
because a lot of us have the same memory. My, I had a pickup truck. It was in my garage, plugged in inside my garage. Still wouldn't start for days. Uh, we cross-country skied to work or snowshoed or whatever you had to get there, right? Because, I mean, we had to get to work to tell people not to go to work. It's funny how many of the guys that we know in sports broadcasting generally uh, have these Western roots. I know that Peter Labardius, who did a lot of, uh, spent a lot of time in the Ontario Hockey League and is now back out West in, in Calgary. I'm trying to remember some of the others. You already mentioned Roger Millions, but there were, there were lots of guys that are either still in the industry or even bouncing around other leagues that were at one point out West. Well, I have a connection with Labardius and him and I have joked about this a few times. Because he came up to me when he was first with Sportsnet in, in Kitchener. He came up to me and, and thanked me, thanked me for leaving Estevan. And I thought that was kind of a weird thing to say. But when I left Estevan, he got the job doing the Bruins play-by-play. So he walked right in. So that's how he got his start was I left. And uh, the other guy who I still am in touch with once in a while, not all that much because he's too busy and too famous for me now. Uh, one of the nicest guys in our industry. When I was, we did a one playoff series. It was um, Estevan playing the Yorkton Terriers. And the voice of the Yorkton Terriers then was a young kid who grew up in the GTA named Chris Cuthbert. So Chris and I were in the same league along with millions. And uh, Lou followed us in. There's this, there's a lot of connections out there. But that was the thing, Mike, when, when I was, I went to Loyalist College, not Conestoga. I grew up in the Belleville area. When I, when I went to college, our mentor at the school, he told us, you're not going to get a job in Southern Ontario right away. And you're, you're, you're young enough for an adventure. Somebody offers you a job in Tuktoyakta, take it. So when I got offered a job in Weyburn, I got offered, I, t- I took the job. And then the next day, I got offered a job at Checks in Peterborough uh, as, a, as a disc jockey. And I had to say no, because I'd already accepted the hockey gig in Saskatchewan. So you, you just don't know where the road's going to take you. But I was only uh, barely 19 years old when I went to Saskatchewan. I already had a year and a half under my belt of broadcasting because also back then when you went to community college, if you graduated, uh, you probably weren't going to end up in the industry because this, all the stations would cherry pick the candidates they wanted. I never graduated. I, 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 did my first, I did my first full year, and then I was at Kingston working with Ron Fitzpatrick, who's here in town. Ron hired me there. And I went back. He was not happy with me. I went back for my second year at, at Loyalist because I was the captain of the soccer team. As soon as soccer season was over, I quit. Then you're a free agent. <laughs> That's right. But I wanted to finish my soccer career there because I knew I probably wasn't going to play my soccer after that. So what led you back to Ontario? Um, my dad died, and I just felt a real pull to be close to my mom and uh, my side of the family. It was, and I've been out there. I guess nine and a half years when my dad died. And it was just, I, I, I'd been away too long. I, I missed a lot of the nephews and nieces growing up. And I just, and, and ironically, because Brenda came with me and we had Patrick shortly after we arrived here, it happened to her too, right? Now she's here. She's missing her family out West. So we still got those great connections, but it was missing home. That's what brought me back. I, I would have happily stayed, probably not in Regina. Regina is not the prettiest city out there. Uh, if I moved back, it would have to be like a place like Saskatoon, which is a bit more of a cosmopolitan city. And so eventually back in Ontario, you find your way to, I, I'm trying to remember the chronology, if it was McLean Hunter and then Telemedia or the other way around, but either way, you're with a group of radio stations in Kitchener and they make yeah. this switch to an AM signal on 570 and all of a sudden they're going to have rights to Kitchener Rangers games. 
Well, we went from McLean Hunter to Rogers. It was okay. Telemedia was just an association. I don't think we were ever owned by Telemedia. I stand to be corrected there, but um, yeah, I was the news. I came back as the sports director, replaced Kenny Welch, who'd just gone to Hamilton to do the TV thing there at CHCH. And Kenny Welch and I, ironically enough, played high school sports against each other growing up in Beltville. So there's there's just so many connections. Don Gross, who hired me uh, in, in Kitchener, he was the news director then. Um, we had the same birthday. And that intrigued him, and that's why he called me and, and started the interview process in Regina. He just thought it was kind of funny that we had the same birthday. And we, it turns out we both worked at CKWS in Kingston at the same time. But he was in television, and I was in radio, and they didn't speak to us because, you know, we were just radio back then. So, yeah, and then in, I think it was 91, we did the switch, the Chime FM, and then CKGL moved over to AM. And then Mike Blake, who was the sales manager, came to me, and he says, don't tell anybody yet, but we just signed the Rangers away from the competition and we want you to do color with Don. And I said to Mike, I said, you know, Mike, all I've ever done is play by play. I've never done color. And if you want to make a clean sweep, maybe now is the time to dump Don. And he looked at me like I had a third eye. <laughs> May have been one of the dumbest things I ever said. Uh, but I said, okay, I'll give it a year. I'll, I'll give it a year and we'll see how it works out with me and Don sharing the booth together. And 15 years later, I, I'm the one who retired first. I'm, I'm the one who didn't want to do it anymore. And Don was, says, you know, because you ended up uh, being his partner. He, he just kept going. He was indefatigable. How'd you find that transition going from play-by-play to color? Um, it's, I think it's easier doing play-by-play because you just have to describe the picture. You don't have to analyze it. That's what I always say to Farwell, too. Yeah, I I agree. Yes. It's easier to do the job. Mike's actually done color with me a few times um, because he was with a bunch of buddies on a drunken brouhaha through the (laughs) Ottawa Valley. And Don's wife got sick and he had to go home. So I had to call Mike, as I recall, and say, I need you to do color with me in in Ottawa. And he said, I don't have any clothes with me. Didn't a buddy of yours in Ottawa give you a badly fitting suit? That's absolutely what happened. Lee Versage came through for me and fit me as best he could. Well, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> he didn't yeah. have it in dwarf size, Carrie. So <laughs> hey, you went there first. I, I wasn't even gonna go there. <laughs> yeah. But that was uh color is, is it, it's interesting because basically it's when the play's not on that you're on. And play by play is just the opposite. And I found when I went from radio to television here, television play by play was so simple. Because there's a picture, <laughs> you know, you don't have to describe every little nuance of the game. You have to like less is more, I think, with the uh, TV play by play. And I admire a lot of the guys that have, have gone to the highest level in broadcasting. Cuthbert's probably what he's one of my favorite people, but he's also one of my favorite play by play guys. Because I was doing Saskatchewan Rough Rider football for two years. Uh, and I didn't do a whole lot on those broadcasts. I did the sideline thing. I did the pregame show. I did postgame shows. I never did play by play or anything like that. But his transition from sport to sport just absolutely blew me away. There's so much to talk about around the time you spent those 15 years in the Ontario Hockey League. And one of the things that occurred to me as we got ready for this is the arenas that you were working in. Chris and I, you look around the league now, we're kind of spoiled. There are a lot of new barns and nice new barns on the circuit right now. Right? Like Windsor, London, Sault Ste. Marie. Kingston. I remember a time in Kingston where the they cut a brine line or burst a brine line trying to drill the posts for the net or whatever it was. Anyway, they couldn't even play the game and Pete DeBoer was some kind of PO'd. But anyway, some of those buildings you were in, well, the old Windsor Arena walking right down as fans into the back of the bench, etc. 
I was I was on the bus when we found out about the brine line. We were on our way over there, and we got to the rink, and Mavity was standing at the ice wall. It looked like he'd struck oil. I mean, this brown crap is just pooling out of the ice. But the funny part is the players knew that game was canceled before Pete did because Mike Duco was sitting beside me. He got a text from a friend of his on the front and actually said, game's off, buddy. So they just busted the pipeline, and uh, the ice is, ice is ruined. And I said to Mike, are you going to tell Pete? No, nope, not me. <laughs> <laughs> So you know, the rest of us found out when we got got to the rink, but that was that was very very annoying. Windsor Arena, my first road game was with Don was in Windsor, and uh, John Humphreys. Do you know John? Yep, very well. Covered covered the spits forever. He was sitting beside me in the press box, and he started to snort, and he nudged me, and I looked at the other end of the ice, and there's a dead squirrel on the faceoff circle that fell from the rafters. So the whistle blows. The linesmen aren't touching this thing. They had to get a rink guy to come up with a towel to perform last rites, and then they put it in a bucket, and away they went. Then they had to scrape up. The, oh, it was just it just went on forever. Anyway, I'm trying to explain what happened. I said Skippy won't be coming home tonight. He's trying to get through the Raptors here at Windsor Arena. Lost his footing and and fell and plummeted to the ice. And Don said, and he's offside. <laughs> that's why the whistle went Don's mind squirrel was offside, but there's some great, there's a player who got electrocuted down there. He didn't die, but he was shocked pretty good. Adjusting the shower head. He took him, he touched the shower head and got a, got a shock. That arena was old when Gordy Howe played there. <laughs> that's how old that arena is. And they, they had a couch in the press room. Nobody would sit on. It's like, oh, no, no. I don't know how long that's been there. They had red shade carpet and an old leather couch. Went, no, no, we're not going anywhere near any of that. It was just, and then they moved into that palace outside of Windsor. It's it's just a stunning facility. Uh, Plymouth is another one. They played out of Cobo. They played out of Joe Louis Arena. They played out of uh, Ann Arbor, where the Pistons were playing at the time. I did games in all those uh, rinks before they landed in, in, in Plymouth, Michigan. Uh, they played at a place called Oak Park, which was – you couldn't use the press room until the, the handball game was off because it was a handball court. And then when the last of the handball court time was up, then they would take – they would put tables in and coffee, and that was that was the press room in Oak Park. Where it was a handball court. So when they landed in Plymouth, that was like, my goodness, what a, a huge upgrade uh, for them there. But the Kingston Arena, Mike, I started there in 76. I did – a couple of games with the venerable Max Jackson. I did some interviews for him for intermissions and things. He was the voice of the Kingston Canadians then. And, and, and we used to say that if you scrape the paint off of that old arena, there'd be nothing left. It was paint is all that was standing in that, that old arena, the Kingston Memorial Center. But according to Don, it was a tie between that rink and Owen Sound for the best French fries in the league. We do frequent the uh, French fries in on sound. That's for sure. Yeah, that was one of Don's favorites. Uh, And popcorn in Sault Ste. Marie was another one of his favorites. Except that if you eat popcorn and then go on the air, it's a little it's a little dry. So, (laughs) well, at least it is for me. The old rink in Sault Ste. Marie. uh, Somebody plugged in a coffee pot in the Rangers dressing room and shorted out the power on the entire side of the rink, (laughs) going off the air. Uh, We're sitting up there. We have no idea what's going on. This is before cell phones. And then I looked down, and the lights are back on, but we still don't have any power up in the, in the loft. There wasn't even a press box. There's a rink attendant. And looks, he's got an extension cord, and he's swinging it like a lariat. And he looks at me and says, hey, catch this. 
And I caught it. And I said, what? And he says, plug into that. You should be good. So we did the game with this cord hanging down into the bench area and then down the hall and they plugged it in someplace else. And that's how they got us back on the air it was an extension cord that kind of waved in people's faces and they had to zig and zag. And that was it. We also did games in the Dunlop Arena in Barry before the Molson Center was open. That place was a treat. Because uh, I always thought Oak Park was the coldest rink I'd ever been in until I was I was in that one. And Chris, you probably played in what I think is the oldest rink in or the coldest rink in Ontario. Did you play in the old rink in Wellington? Wellington, no. The Wellington Dukes, you never. No, nope, never party? played them. Oh, oh, they've got a new rink now too. So, but that was cold. We played lacrosse there in August. It was cold in that rink. There's there's a lot of. You guys are lucky. Like you know, I look at the London, the old Ice House, uh, the best of the old rinks. Besides the odds, the odds in a class all itself, you know. And I know there's a bias there, but the best of the old rinks, besides the odd, is still the Sudbury Memorial Arena. One one of the problems I had with Sudbury is when they put in what they called their luxury suites. I called them dunk tanks, and they didn't <laughs> take that so well. <laughs> but that's what they looked like to me. They looked like dunk tanks. Uh, they did their best if only the uh rangers had axel bergfist when that rat fell from the rafters we saw him this year they threw a trout out on the on the ice and everyone was like what do we do with this thing he just goes over picks it up throws it in zamboni entrance let's go here yeah yeah some people just they don't get squeamish it's like the guy that tosses the octopus back in detroit right yeah who cares who cares yeah and what is it is it nashville does the catfish now catfish yeah 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 there's something in every, but some of those old rinks, those, 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 those rats up there were famous in Sudbury. I mean, to live in Sudbury uh, is tough enough in that part of town, as you know, there's a shelter. I don't know where you guys stay now. I can't remember the name of the hotel, but there was a, we had to walk from the hotel down to the rink by the railroad tracks. And there was a, a shelter and a soup kitchen about halfway between. And we were coming back from watching practice one day and Tommy Conaway with the, the record was coming out of the soup kitchen. I said, tell me what you're doing. He said, I thought it was a restaurant. Like, <laughs> he went in for a bowl of soup. He had no idea, but that, but that's what that whole end of town looked like. Right. It was a pretty depressed area back then. I hope they get a new rink in Sudbury, but it's just like everything else. You're going to miss the old one. We need a new rink in Kitchener, I think, but you're sure going to miss the old one. When it's gone. That Sudbury press box. It's uh Let's say it needs upgraded. Um, that extension cord you worked off of, is that the worst working experience you've had? Oh, Lord, no. Um, long before I got to the O when I was in Renfrew, we did a league final in Carlton Place against the Carlton Place Legion Kings. And they had no press facilities at all. But they said, don't worry, we got you covered. Because I phoned the team and said, I'm, doing, I'm coming to do play-by-play. How are we going to set this up? Oh, don't worry, we got you covered. We've done it this way before. So here's what they did. The Zamboni entrance was about the blue line. It wasn't all the way in the corner. It was about the blue line here. And there were no stands on that side of the rink, right? So I was facing the crowd, which was nice. But it didn't have to be in the corner, basically. So I get there, and there's stands to my left and stands to my right, which aren't being used. And then you got the Zamboni entrance. So what they've done is they put down four planks to cover it over, dropped a picnic table over it, and I sat at the picnic table and did play-by-play. Now, the kicker is it was fine. It was a great spot until the guy started up the Zamboni for <laughs> 30 seconds to play in the period. Now I can't hear myself, and I'm getting gassed at the same time. <laughs> Thanks, Bill. I had to put up with that for two periods. That may have been 
the worst outside of the O. There's a, a rink we used to do games in Saskatchewan, what they call the Big Six Hockey League, which would be a, a senior semi-pro league. And a place called Carndiff and, and, and Carndiff Red Devils. And there's no lobby or anything. I mean, you just open the door and you're in the rink. So there's, you have to pay at a little ticket wicket outside the, the front entrance. And then you just go find your seat. So we get to the first period. They roped off a place behind the penalty box. It was fine. Well, we get to the first period intermission. And out comes the ladies' auxiliary of the Carndiff Red Devils pushing tea carts around with snacks. And people would lean down over the boards and buy their snacks off of the table. And she had a little hot plate. Uh, with an old metal coffee pot filled with butter. And if you wanted butter on your popcorn, it was, say when. <laughs> That's how you know you hit the big time when you're doing stuff like that. You've arrived. That picnic table story, Gary, reminds me a little bit of my early days. And again, to speak to how lucky we are, the renovated uh, now Erie Insurance Arena is a just a gem to work in. But the old Tulio. I remember working on a scaffolding, basically, that was set up on top of some seats right out well, there amongst the stands. Well, that's what we had. We were yeah. their opening, we were their opening act. Uh, they were their very first game in Erie. And uh, one of the most Erie's most famous residents uh, is a former Kitchener Ranger and a former Montreal Canadian, Rick Chartrop. So he came up to say hi to Don, and he's standing on the platform. And out, out they trot the uh, anthem singer. I'm sure you've heard me tell the, tell the story, but she nailed it. She got every word right. Sadly, she did it at the tune of Oh Christmas Tree. <laughs> so it was Oh Canada, Oh Canada, we stand on guard for it. And it was just absolutely, and I, Chartra says, and I'm sure it went over there, what the f- <laughs> <laughs> That's all charts got out on, on that episode. We were on that platform one night, and it was uh, Dollar Hot Dog Night. And this guy came up and he sat in front of the press box and he's so distracted, Don and I. He he gave that guy a twenty dollar bill and didn't get change. And he, he's we sat and watched this guy eat twenty hot dogs over the first period, and it was like, come on, man, it's not Coney Island. That's not cool. <laughs> there, here he had a flashlight night night their first year. Everybody got a flashlight as, as a souvenir, and uh, I thought that was a brilliant idea. So the first bad call and the referees are getting pelted with batteries. <laughs> what is this philadelphia yeah <laughs> now the old tulio arena i'm sure it's the same now that they've got the ballpark attached to it but um in pennsylvania everything is on their public buildings is uh, english and braille that's that's how it works so every time i walked by umpire's room and saw umpires in braille i just i i i just laughed every time i was in here i had to walk by the umpire's dressing room just so i could see umpires in braille because it was to me it was just Marx Brothers. It was just classic funny. That is good. We walk by that room all the time, just down from yeah. the Rangers dressing room. So I'm going to check that out. I got to take a picture next time. That's pretty funny. Braille for well, an I had to crack me right up. That's a beautiful ballpark, though, isn't it? Oh, something else. Yeah, it's yeah. Beautiful. Like when I when it was our first game in Erie, uh, I said to Dave McQueen, who was coaching the Otters. No, Chris Johnson was coaching the Otters. And I said, "What is it like Warriors?" He said, "No, oh, they built it in the '70s. Said, How do they make it look so old so fast?" <laughs> It was just not a pretty building. We've got a standing order with uh, Dave Brown, the GM there, to uh, treat us to a night for a Seawolves ball game. But he said we're only allowed to come on cheap beer night. Either way, Uh, I I made him promise to pick up the tab. So He knows us too well. (laughs) Speaking of bad arenas, Dave Brown would be familiar with the old uh, Gatecliff Arena. Yes. Right? 
we're, we're, and that's when Don Cameron started broadcasting in Ontario. That was where he started. He, he was doing St. Catherine's teepees games back in the late fifties before he went to Kitchener. He, he went to Kitchener in 60 to do the Squaw Valley to, to start the Olympic thing there. And that's how that's, that was his first year in Kitchener in 60. Or as I like to tell him, I was three. <laughs> <laughs> that's where I got my start covering the OHL was at the Jack when I was working for the Brock press newspaper. Ooh. Yeah. Oh yeah. Their media room yeah. was up in some little tiny room up above. It was a, uh, it was quite the arena. Freddie, Freddie Parker used to say to some of the players on the bus, if you can, uh, if you can use a, uh, if you can walk and talk, you can get into Brock. That's yep. what he used to say. And if you can use a fork, you can get into York. Those were his, uh, his two places to go. Brian Hayton used to say, keep messing around. I'll trade you to the sound. So <laughs> we, had a, we had a bunch of poet laureates on the bus there for a while. You've mentioned his name a bunch, Gary, but 15 years riding the, the road with Don Cameron. What was that like? An education, yeah, a privilege. Uh, best fifteen years that I'd ever spent as a broadcaster. I, I, you know, I've always said it. I've said I said this to Don uh, when I started broadcasting with him. I didn't, I, I didn't need any help. I, I, I understood hockey. I knew what I, I knew the game well enough that I could do play by player color. I wasn't looking. I learned more about life from that than anything else. And he helped me through, through a couple of pretty low spots. And uh, we used to golf together an awful lot. Don and I, in his last years there, we played probably every other week. We'd get out in the summer because that's about all he could do. Uh, but every time I miss hit a shot, he'd say the same thing, same to me. It's not the wand, it's the magician. And, that was, <laughs> and he'd shake my hand before a round and say, you're not good enough to get mad. <laughs> He just said, well, you guys knew him. I mean, he was just a gem of a person and uh, such a good broadcaster. I, you know, it baffles me sometimes that he didn't go farther. I had a tryout in the American Hockey League, didn't get the job. Um, and I've often wondered why he didn't uh, aim higher. Uh, but he was content. And, if, if, and that's a word that I absolutely love because that's what I found. I found I was content doing junior hockey. I don't, like, it, It's like... It, it takes so much work and so much time and so much concentration and so much dedication to do uh, at a professional level. And I had young boys and I, you know, I would rather take that time and invest it in my kids than invest it on maybe getting to the American hockey league and just taking really long road trips on a bus because uh, the hockey's good, but it, it's not the end of it. I wouldn't want to pass up the opportunity to tick off the other 19 markets listening right now, but specifically (laughs) to the team that, of course, you broadcast for 15 years. And I think it was an interesting time, Gary, because when you came in, let's just call a spade a spade. The Kitchener Rangers were not all that good. And then the Pete DeBoer, Steve Spot era came along and there was that sort of second round of glory days, if you will, in the city. Well, when I got here, um, 85 yeah they just finished their memorial cup run and traded away most of the draft picks to do that so there were some lean years great hockey though still one of my favorite rangers david Bolitsky, who uh no oh, i don't think you'd have to look up to you mike but it would it wouldn't it wouldn't be that far up um still one of my favorite people uh he was the goaltender of record then and then there was cj denemy and then some kid named torquia 
who came in in what, 89, 90, somewhere around there. I can't, I can't remember the exact dates anymore. It's all, those are all kind of a blur to me. But I remember Joe McDonnell got really mad at Torch one training camp because he showed up overweight, which I know is hard to believe, and uh, sent him home. And, and I, I phoned Joe at his office, and I said, just so I'm clear, you just sent an Italian kid with a weight problem home to his mother. <laughs> just so I'm clear. And uh, <laughs> Joe never – he caught on to my sense of humor, but not right away. Uh, <laughs> the boy never caught on to my sense of humor. We had some funny moments, but Pete was, he was probably the most focused, serious guy I've ever seen around there. Rangers turned into a business, Mike, when uh, Steve Binkowski took over. Up until then, they were a junior hockey team. They became a business when Binkowski took over. They started making money. They filled the rink. They knew how to promote. He's the guy who went out and got Pete and, and Steve. Um, and, and I think that was a huge difference. I mean, the coach just before. Uh, Pete DeBoer uh, was Jeff Snyder out of Elmira, who I think was a great coach. I think he was outmatched uh, in, a, in a lot of the senses because so, it'd be pretty intimidating. I mean, here's Jeff Snyder, formerly of the Elmira Sugar Kings, playing, starting a series against Brian Kilroy. You know, you know what I mean? It's like guys at that level were were, were different. Killer was killer was killer. Uh, Mav was a legend. I've known Mav since I was a little boy. He was my baseball coach when I was a kid. So I remember telling. Mav, my first year with Don, we're at the Kingston Arena, and I went down and reintroduced myself. And, of course, he didn't, wouldn't remember me. I said, a place called Alamite Field in Belleville. We were playing softball. It was my first year. I was 10 years old. He put me in at second base. First hit of the game, I barely got out of the way. He came right at me, and I dove. <laughs> <laughs> and this, this, is what I, this is what I hear. I hear, time, time, come here, you little prick. <laughs> And I told Mav that story, and he said to me, well, I don't remember it, but, but yeah, sounds right. I believe it. <laughs> but that was, that was bigger than life those guys were to me growing up. And then to see them, you know, to get to work with them like that, that was, for me, that was, that was pretty cool. That was, I, I got nothing but good memories uh, when it comes to those 15 years of time. Going into those barns and seeing guys like Mav, seeing guys like Killer, all the guys that you've talked about that you had connections with, was that the highlight of the, covering the OHL? Uh, well, the Memorial Cup final that the Rangers lost in Hamilton, I still think is the best game I've ever seen. Um, so it still comes down to the hockey at some point, you know. Um, my doctor's calling. I just hung up on her. Um, Thank you. That's- well, well, priorities, right? <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> Memorial Cup in Quebec City was, was, was a pretty cool uh, event to the 08 and Kitchener was t- way too much work. If you're ever going to do a Memorial Cup, I recommend it's on the road because if it's in your home building, uh, I still had to do the talk show. Yeah. Uh, I, I, Don Collins didn't cut me any slack ever. <laughs> 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 and uh, him and I had some famous arguments as well. But I, you know, I had a couple, I, I had one with Don Cherry that was memorable because, um, he, he came up in Mississauga, and he was sitting in the press box beside us in the dark. I, I didn't particularly care. I've never been a huge fan of Don Shtick. He, he sit in a room, and he can tell you great hockey stories. But I, I just – I don't know. There was just something missing there for me. But I keep looking. We're on a power play, and we're peppering this Ice Dogs goalie, whoever, whoever he, the goalie of the moment was. 
And I kept looking to my left, you know, where the shot clock is in Mississauga. So I keep looking down to see what the shot, and it hasn't moved throughout this power. It hasn't moved at all. And Don's doing his thing. And then all of a sudden, Cherry's in front of the, the glass and he's right at my face. And he says, will you stop looking at me to get my reaction? What the hell are you looking at me all the time for? So looking at the shot clock, Don, he just went stupid. He was so upset with me for, I, I guess he thought I was staring at him to get his reaction to the fact that his team hadn't touched the puck in 60 seconds. But no, I was trying to see, figure out why the shot clock wasn't working. And then you find out four or five days later, it came out of the Toronto Sun that he fired the guy that kept shots because he was making the team look bad. <laughs> no, that, the fact that the team hadn't touched the puck was making the team look bad. That makes me think, and we'll, we'll go to another market for the experiences you had there, but it makes me think of Saginaw. Saginaw was one of the first places in the league when I started going around that the, the shot clock was notoriously bad. And I, I started wondering, like you're punishing your own goaltender if you don't give them the credit for the shots. Anyway, that, that rink too, the way they came into the league uh, very minor league baseball-ish, if you will, trying to sell the game in a whole host of different ways? Well, Saginaw, you go back to Rosie, right? Dennis Trozier, who did their color on their radio, who coached the Fort Wayne Comets, the Eastern Professional League forever, and played for them. He, he said that you have, to, you have to tell, first you have to teach these guys about this game because they don't know anything about junior hockey. They think if you sign a player, he's here till he retires. Like that's the first thing they didn't understand was that players graduated. That made no sense to them at all. Um, and they always thought that, you know, cursing out the referees was, was, was allowed by more than just color commentators. Chris. Um, <laughs> but and Erie was the same way when Erie started, their PA announcer was chastised by the league a couple of times as we're down there for a playoff round. And what do we hear? Oh, hard to believe another Kitchener penalty. Here's things like that from the PA announcer trying to get the fans inside and trying to get the fans involved. But it was pretty Bush. It was pretty Bush the way they did some of those things. Um, Plymouth, I never got any of that in Plymouth at all. I thought they were, they were loud. They had that, that U.S. Army power play thing where they did the, it was either a machine gun or a tank. And the volume of everything in Plymouth was way too loud. Way, way, like, this is just me talking. Like, and I'm wearing a headset at the time to kind of cancel some of it. But some of them and some of the PA systems just weren't good. The old ice house in London was, was one, uh, like that, that rink. My man, when they demolished it, I was a pretty happy guy. It was convenient though, the old ice house in London, because it was just off 401. So if you wanted to get in out of London in a hurry, you could do that when, when they played there. It was no problem at all door to door. Where they are now is a pain to get to most times, but it's a beautiful facility, a beautiful facility. Um, some of the other rinks up there, the new Sioux rink, building it right across the parking lot from the old one, I thought was a stroke of genius because, you know, as, as much as the fans would have a little wobbly pop before the game, they're still going to find the arena. You mentioned that 08 Memorial Cup. Don had that famous call when the trophy was broke. He goes, oh, my God. Yeah. What was going through your mind? When, when I saw the cup broke? Yeah. Well, uh, who was I? Was, I was ringside. I'm trying to remember. It wasn't Danny Liebold. It was somebody else who said, do over. <laughs> <laughs> and it just made me – it just cracked me right up. But it was uh, – that was one of the most disappointing games. And one of the players from that team that I still talk to mostly on Facebook, but we've, we've, uh, we've had a beverage or two together when he's in town is Josh Eunice. And I felt bad for Josh because the Rangers went out and made that big trade with London to get Steve Mason and then Mace got hurt. And uh, a lot of fans, I've heard it 
to this day. If Steve Mason hadn't got hurt, we would have won. Well, here's the thing about Josh Eunice. We lost that game three to one. If you're only going to score one goal in a championship game, I don't like your odds of winning. And uh, Josh was not the problem. The problem was that everybody was gripping the sticks just a little, a little too tight in that game. And I think the Rangers in that particular game, they played the Justin Azevedo line till, till the wheels fell off. And then it was a great hockey game. There's nothing to be ashamed of. You know, I, mean, I don't think those guys are defined. They're not more defined by losing that game than Torquia and Uniac and those guys are for losing in 90. It's, it's, it's one game. It's, it's, it's the final game of the year. I remember in Quebec City, uh, Colin Campbell uh, in the press room said to me, you know, it's a good day when there's no out-of-town scoreboard. And I, I thought that kind of summed it up quite nicely. There's two teams standing, for goodness sakes. Can we, can we just, it's, it's, our, it's our Canadian hockey mentality. It's gold or nothing. You win gold, you lose silver. And, I, and that's always driven me crazy. You're, you're, there's, there's no shame in that game at all. It was a heck of a hockey game. We've talked about a, a couple of players, David Belitsky, one of your all-time favorites that you've mentioned. And obviously, over all of the years, you get awfully close to a, a number of Kitchener Rangers. But when you think of players that you saw in the Ontario Hockey League during your decade and a half, who stands out to you? With the Rangers or just a, in general? Well, you could go both, but certainly I'd like to hear some of the in-general ones as well. Well, with the Rangers, probably uh, the Rangers' first draft pick the year I started broadcasting was this lanky kid from Seaforth named Boyd Devereaux. He turned out okay. <laughs> uh, their second second pick that year was a kid that didn't speak any English. His name was Serge Paye. He turned out okay. Serge is the player agent now, and we actually talked just a couple of months ago. Um, so I still have conversations with some of these. And it's the early years, I think, because remember when I said when Benkowski took over, it became kind of Kitchen Rangers, Inc. It didn't have that that feel of, of being like a, a junior hockey family. I mean, the players, are, if you're in that group, you're treated well. But Don and I were definitely outside looking in. And that's fine. I mean, that's that's the way that the business works, and I, and I get that. But it's the early years players, guys like Paul Trainer, who may have been one of the most effortless skaters I've ever seen. And the guy that missed a one-timer uh, early in the season, and it was the first time I heard Don say he whacked it with a Monday record. And it may, it still might be one of my favorite Don Cameron lines. Because <laughs> after the game, because Trainer's dad listened to all the games. And at, after the game, Trainer comes up to, to Don and I, and he says, I didn't fan on it, Don. I feathered it. <laughs> <laughs> so players like that, guys like Al Rourke in the early years, who was a seventh defenseman his first year, and he scored what thirty-one his last year, coming off the blue line, drafted by the Islanders. To see that maturation process is pretty pretty cool. A uh, guy that I know Chris knows, um, Nick Spalling is another one of those guys who uh, wasn't a fifteen-year-old or a sixteen-year-old phenom. He just got bigger and stronger every year he played the game. Played a lot of games in the NHL. Went to Europe. Uh, Azzy still playing, you know, uh, Derek Roy still playing guys like that, that are just lifers in the game. Um, and then there's the characters off the ice. But uh, on the other side of the ice, probably my favorite player to watch in the early days. And sadly, that's what the Rangers did was they watched them a lot. Didn't stop them much was Jumbo Joe up in the Sioux. Joe Thornton was, uh, he was something to watch in junior hockey because he just, he just, he was so freaking big compared to everybody else at that level. And you're thinking, 
I got to see his driver's license. I want to see just check and make sure how old this guy is because he, he was he was that big and that dominant. Was Eric Lindros the most dominant player you've ever seen? Uh, I don't think so. I, I, he he was one of them. He he was one of them, but he also had uh, he had an on off switch. And if he didn't find the on switch early in the game, he wasn't really a threat. It was guys like Ian Fraser on that team who were more of a threat because he only had one switch. But uh, when Eric was going, he was going hard. But he he took a few nights off, and I don't know if why. And that's just my impression of him. He may have been trying hard and just skating in butter that night. I don't know. He Joe, I think, was probably when he was on the ice. Thornton was probably one of the most dominating guys. Cameron Mann up in Peterborough was another one who I thought was just strong and, and such a, a strong player. Not that far away in Guelph, Manny Malhotra in, in his years in, in storm uniform. There, there wasn't anything he couldn't do. Uh, and he was, he was it's hard to check, but he was also fun to watch, especially in that little rink in Guelph, the old rink in Guelph, if you remember that one. That was, uh, he dominated that, that fall. And same with Todd Bertuzzi in those years too, right? You put Todd Bertuzzi in a small rink and he's going to do a lot of damage. We've had the chance since we started this project about stories from the game to talk to guys that played back in the late 80s, early 90s. And it gets us thinking back an awful lot, Gary, about those eras and how much different the game is. You would have still been a part of some of those games or series where there were flat out Donnybrooks happening. (laughs) <laughs> my, my first game in Kitchener, uh, there was a pregame brawl that started in the penalty box. So, yeah. Uh, <laughs> and that was against my hometown, the Belleville Bulls. Like, I got here uh, November 1st, so the season had already started. And we went over, Don Gross took me over to my first game at the Odd. And he says, this isn't like the Wild West. This is like real classic hockey. This isn't like knock them down, drag them, beat them with a stick hockey. This, this. And then there's a brawl in the pregame. Like the referees were not obligated to be on the ice back then, right? So there's nobody on the ice to stop them. So it started in the penalty box. Uh, and I don't know how it started in the penalty box. I just remember getting nudged and looking down and seeing three guys in the penalty box, two bulls and a ranger. And then it just all hell broke loose from there. And it was, it was insane. But the worst brawls, guys, we had one in Oshawa. I'm trying to remember who started it. It doesn't matter. Because... That was the first time I noticed that Oshawa's gloves and Kitchener's gloves were identical. Do you know how long it took to sort that out? <laughs> <laughs> Whose gloves were who? What team? It was, it was a simple thing like that made me laugh. But that old rink in Oshawa saw some, some Donnie Brooks down there, too. Is Donnie Another Brooks one. Like a hockey one? Is that just a hockey thing now? You don't hear Donnie Brook outside of hockey so much anymore. Yeah. We're no. reminiscing. I figured it fit. Yeah. Yeah. Well, <laughs> Yeah, I saw some good ones in the West too. Trust me on that one. But there was uh, there were some uh, there were some dandies in the old uh, Kitchener Allen Lake. Do you remember that name? Yep. Um, that goes back to the uh, uh, mid eighties. He he was one who could. Uh, after Allen Lake graduated, and Don and I said, "There's not going to be another one come out of the Maritimes like that for a long time." Next year, Darcy Harris showed up. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Still one of my favorite X-Rangers. My, one of my favorite lines is we're in Plymouth and uh, Darcy got in a fight with about 60 seconds left in the game. This rookie came over the boards, but didn't play jet. And right off the face off, dropped his gloves and challenged Darcy. Darcy hit <laughs> once and the kid was down wondering what day it was. And uh, that was it. That was, just, that was 
his only shift in that game and Darcy dropped him. So we're getting, throwing the stuff on the bus after the game. And I said to Darcy, uh, oh, good, back it up a bit. Cause Don said to me during the commercial break, check and see when the last time it was Darcy was in a fight. I think it's gotta be five games. So I went back and oddly enough, Don was right. There'd been five games since uh, Darcy had been in a fight. So I asked him when we got, I, first of all, I said, what started that in the last minute of play? And he said, honestly, I, I don't know. The kid came up to the face-off circle and says, coach says I got to go yet. <laughs> so I said, okay, and dropped him to his knees. And I said, you hadn't fought in five games. Like, why? Are your, your hands are your hands okay? Are they sore? He said, no, my, my hands aren't sore, but my face is. <laughs> it's still one of my favorite lines ever delivered from a player. Players back then had more of a personality, I think. They weren't as, as timid with the media. Do you ever miss that old-time style of hockey that we've been talking about? Well, I, I do, and, and I miss the interactions that way. But back then, like, they all didn't have agents either when they were <laughs> coming out of the womb either and, you know, and groomed. I always thought, because when I got here, when I started working with Don, that's we bought the wireless mic. And the innovation that, that we brought was the live post game. We, we, that had never been done before here. So we, we started doing the live postgame, and you got so much candid stuff. But even then, the coaches warned them, about, be careful what you say. Uh, because, again, Don Cherry got really upset with me because he could hear the games, right? <laughs> in Mississauga. Because Yannick Weber, well, I had Yannick on a postgame show in Mississauga, and it was on a Saturday afternoon after a sold-out odd on a Friday night that was just a raucous game. Second game of the home and home was back in Mississauga Saturday afternoon. And it was just boring. I think the Rangers won seven to one or some lopsided score. And I said to Yannick on the postgame show, I said, how difficult is it to go from that Friday night atmosphere where you can feed off the energy of the crowd to this? And Yannick said, and this is what ticked off grapes. This place has all the atmosphere of practice. <laughs> <laughs> How do you not like wine like that? Do you remember any harrowing road trips along the way, Gary? I'm sure there must have been a storm or two, and not just from Guelph. Yeah, uh, <laughs> not just Ontario. Some of the Western trips were pretty. Coming out of Prince Albert one night, Prince Albert, Saskatchewan, we played up there. And then it's about a five-hour drive from Prince Albert just to get to Saskatoon. And then it's another five hours to get back to Estevan from there. But at least you were you were on better roads when you got south of Saskatoon. We're coming out of Prince Albert, and um, everybody sleeps on the bus, and I never could. So they had this little pop-up seat that was down in the right by the door, and I would sit up there with the bus driver on the, just to keep him company and give him somebody to talk to while everybody else snorted. This guy's name was Dennis Goslin. We called him Goose, and Goose says to me. Do you, do you see what, what, what I see? And I looked up and on the road, there was a deer struggling to get across the road with a couple of wolves attached, but they were trying to drag them down. And then it says, hold on. And we went around them and kept going. And you hear th- 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 some of the players roll out. And that's, that was one of the most harrowing moments that I can remember. It's just about uh, hitting, uh, hitting a deer that was being dragged down by wolves. We hit an owl one night on that same stretch of road and its wingspan went from one side of the bus to the other. We had to stop the bus throw all the snow up there to clean the smear off. And this is my first year there. We were on a bus that didn't have a bathroom. So you'd get, you get at a place like PA two in the morning and a bus driver would just pull over in the middle of the prairie and say, 
turn the lights on and say, you know, okay, everybody, now's your break time. And the guys would stumble out, all stand along the side of the bus, drain their bladders, get back on again and resume the bus. And we carry on. Uh, so here, probably Mike Mackinac Bridge is. Uh, oh, yeah. We had one coming over the year Andre Benoit was a rookie, and he was mad at me for a couple of years because he's sitting right behind, you know, the rookie's closer to the front. So Andre was right behind where Don and I were sitting. And they, the winds were pretty bad. So we're crossing the bridge, and they had the pace car go with you. Has that ever happened to you guys? You needed the one pace time, car? and I never yeah. want to see it again. Yeah. So the pace car is there just to make sure you don't speed. Right, because you you're safer at a lower rate. So we're going up over this first stretch of the Mackinac, and Andre says to me, "What's what's the car for?" And I said to him, "That's the spotter, Andre. If we go through the ice, he can tell them where we went in." And Andre's eyes got as big as saucers, and he didn't talk to me for the longest time. <laughs> you mentioned that you didn't sleep on the bus, so you could can't give us any tips on. I don't know if you were an inside or an outside guy when you were with Don, but you couldn't uh, give us any tips on the best way to sleep on a bus. Don couldn't give me any tips because he was asleep the minute he smelled diesel. <laughs> uh, he was he was always next to the window. He was, he was and then half my ass would be out in the aisle. So, but I sat across from Danny, and Danny and I spent a lot of evenings just chatting on the bus. But no, I, I've never been able to sleep on a bus. Never could. And uh, so I had a lot of long nights. We get back from the Sioux, six thirty in the morning, and I drive to the, the station and be on the air for nine o'clock to do the touch. How tough was that on you having to do both like that? Well, Rogers tied a can to my butt almost seven years ago, and a month to the day after they fired me, I had a heart attack. So that should tell you how much hard, how hard that was. He's seven years old, and I had a stress related heart attack. So all's well now. They fixed it. Good. Um, but that's one of the reasons I never went back uh, to anything at all, except hockey. Was that I just didn't want to deal with the stress. I, I didn't need that anymore. But uh, it, it became too much of a of a. Um, let's just say that uh, it was made clear to me that the show was the priority, not the hockey, and I was trying to split both. So if I went on the road with the hockey team, I had to be there the next day to do the show. That, that was the edict from from management at that time. So, yeah, there was, there was a whole lot of slack cutting there. And if you can't sleep on a bus, it just makes for very long days. Farzi, take care of that heart, okay? Yeah, yes. I'm working on it. You, you've <laughs> seen me eat, eat in the media room, so I don't know if I'm much further behind this guy. And I'm catching up in years. Now, tell me, is the Sioux or the soup ladies still up in the Sioux? Oh, I meant yeah. to bring that up before when you br- – yes, they are. And uh, and it's it's interesting, well, coincidentally, I guess, but we've we've lost a couple of – of gems in, in the Ontario hockey league, right? Bernice from the sound. And one of the ladies from Kingston, I believe I saw online, right? Yeah, and her husband just died too. So yeah, yeah, but the soup ladies and, and you look forward to that. You really do. I remember the first time I went up there with Don and he had told me, cause what happens is when you go in, the first thing you see are a couple of older ladies by the media notes and they want, they ask you, do you want to have soup? And sometimes, apparently, it can be pretty spicy. I don't do well with spice. First time we're going in, we're going through the door of the media room, and Don made one of the quickest turns to the right I've ever seen the old fellow make, and then it was me face-to-face with the soup ladies. He didn't want to have to reject them because he never got the soup, left it to me, the rookie. Well, you, you think you can't. You should, we saw Troy Smith. I've never seen that shade of red on somebody's face. Uh, he, he, one night, he just dove into the soup, and then it hit him. 
Was it like a delay broadcast? All of a sudden it hits Smitty how hot this soup was? I, I, I couldn't do that, but I always declined. I was like, no, I'm sorry, I can't do that. <laughs> I, I had a built-in excuse, though. I could always sorry, I'm a diabetic. I, I, only, I, only, I can only do bland, there which is go. a little crap, but, you know, it got me away from the soup ladies. But they brought them over from the old press room at the other rink, which – the other, the old rink, it was just a, it was in an old boardroom. It was a big round table. You're going to sit down and you'd be doing your press and she'd be over your shoulder. Soup. She'd be right there. <laughs> and if you weren't ready for it, it would be pretty startling, you know. <laughs> but the Sioux, uh, uh, Plymouth always had a really good press room. And then they had to move ahead. He gave it up and turned it into a games room where they could make money and you had to go down underneath the stands. Uh, there were, and when Benkowski took over, I, and even before that, Jamie McDonald really upgraded the, uh, the press room in, in Kitchener because back then it was Les Bradley, Joan Fraser, and, and Timbits. <laughs> it, it, it wasn't much to speak of, and, it, and it's, it's a gem now. It's, I, I haven't been in the press room for a few years, but I, I don't imagine it's uh, slacked off any at all. Not a bit. It hasn't. <laughs> no, not much has changed. You mentioned that press room that when we were doing games together, you always sat right uh, in front of an Andre Benoit game sheet. And I remember you telling me stories of that game. Can you uh, tell us that story? Well, he had an eight-point game, four goals, four assists. Uh, he wasn't even supposed to play. It was opening night against Plymouth. Uh, and he'd just been cut by the Leafs. He had a tryout with the Leafs, and they cut him. And Pete said, just take the night off. And no one wanted to play. So he had four goals and four assists. And Don and I debated long and hard about naming him all three stars. And because uh, basically we wanted to get the reaction – when he was announced as the third star, <laughs> we just wanted to see the reaction of the fans. We relented because he wasn't the only one that had a good game that night. But Benny was, uh, and then after the game, I forget the math now, but I told him what he was on pace for for a 68 game season. And then he looked at me like I had a third eye, like, you don't think I'm going to do that every night, do you? <laughs> I'm glad you took the three stars seriously, Gary, because you know how I feel about this particular. Well, issue. you, you, when I hear you, some going on, well, there's two things. I, I'll, you, my wife thinks I'm the old guy that yells at the radio. I'm yelling, let it go to you when you go on and on about three stars. And when you on and go on about raisins, give it up. <laughs> They're both here to stay. Like I, I'm, I'm a proponent of just doing the player of the game. Like they do in a national hockey, one from each team. I'm not a proponent of the three stars anymore. Cause it's a joke. It's an absolute joke. Uh, we named one night, and Paul Svoboda was the sports editor of the Belleville Intelligencer. And it was that playoff series of the Memorial Cup year. And P.K. Subban was everywhere that night. But he was minus four and didn't have a point. The Rangers won, I think, seven to three. And we didn't name Subban a star. And Svoboda did a big column in the Belleville paper about how me being from Belleville, how I had this vendetta against the Bulls and wouldn't name P.K. Subban a star, and I wouldn't know a star if I saw him. He's minus four. But, but yes, he was all over the ice, but so are people in ice capades. you got to do something when you're out there once in a while. And P.K. just, he had the puck all night long, but he didn't do anything with it. So that was in Kitchener. We get to Belleville the next day, and I was just blown away when I read the paper. that Paul and I talked a bit because I've known him forever, and uh, he was just, Angry, he thought that Subban was worthy of a star. Well, he could have just said that then. I mean, it's 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 a popularity contest. It's not cast in stone or everything. And then George Burnett, who was coaching the Bulls, came into the press room, came over, shook my hand, and said very quietly, "You're right." And then walked away. 
<laughs> so I felt a little bit vindicated there. But you go into some buildings, and it's 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 absolutely absurd, particularly in the American buildings. And I, I don't know why. Um, maybe they're trying to entertain their fans, but you know, you know the famous story about Henri Richard, right? Picking three stars on Hockey Night in Canada. Do you remember that famous story from the sixties? Henri Richard had just retired, and uh, he was picking. No, it was Rocket Richard because Henri was the first star. So, and they didn't call him out or anything. They just did it on TV because it was an ESO promotion for their three-star gasoline, which is how all of this started in the first place. So Rocket Richard was explaining his three stars. He says, well, for the third star, we'll take uh, uh, J.C. Tremblay from the Canadiens. You know, he had a goal. He played probably 30 minutes, a very strong game for the second star. He said, uh, I pretty much have to go with uh, Bernie Jeffreyon. Bernie Jeffreyon had two goals, played very well for Montreal and was a bruising force. And my first star is uh, Henri Richard, my little brother. He had three goals and uh, played a very strong game. Um, and he said, uh, probably honorable mention to Gordie Howe of Detroit. He did get four of their five goals. <laughs> and that, to me, it's been a more popularity since I saw that clip. It was just, What? <laughs> And, and that's the way that a lot of the, I, I think they're trying to entertain their own fans as opposed to actually tell you. And I fudged one night on the air. I mean, and I was taking it pretty easy in the early years on the Rangers. They were having a bad game. I was making excuses for them. And Don went to commercial and he took his headset off and he looked at me. I took my headset off and said, what? And he said, as long as we get 5,000 witnesses, tell the truth. So that was his very, very not so subtle way of saying, you know, no, don't, don't. You, you don't have to go that far to make it. If they're not playing well, say it. So that was, that was a big lesson for me there from one of the best. If, if we get 5,000 witnesses, tell the truth. I remember you saying that before when we were doing television broadcasts, and I bring it up all the time that if, you know, there's 7,000 people in the odd and they see something, you got to call it out whether you want to call it out or not. Yeah. Um, you talked about that lesson. You talked about the old uh, Monday record. Are those two your favorite, or do you have any other Don lines? Because Lord knows there are about 8,000. Oh. Yeah, the Monday record one is, stands out to me because I wasn't expecting it. High, wide, not so handsome, I'd heard uh, a lot. That was one of his, his signatures. And I was doing a little bit online thing a couple of weeks ago. We were talking about the, the old days and Sanaya Sapurji, who I know Mike knows. I don't know if you know Sanaya, Chris, but she was talking about some of the early days. And I said, one of my favorite Don moments up in the Sioux, uh, we lost two to one up there. And Corey Pecker, who was a phenomenal junior player, had both their goals. And as Don ended the game, he said, and uh, we'll be back with a post-game show. But just a reminder tonight, their, uh, their Pecker was better than our Dickie. <laughs> <laughs> Which is still one of my favorite Don moments. Because it was so unexpected. You know, <laughs> and that was before Corey got traded to Erie, where the thing. And do you remember that name? I, oh I, yeah, that's yeah. when they threw. And in Erie, there was a there was a ritual when he would score a goal. Yeah, yeah, they yeah. throw dildos on the ice. Yeah. <laughs> they sold Pecker Power T-shirts down there. I, I mean, this, but this is also they're playing to the crowd of the guys that spent twenty dollars on hot dogs. <laughs> 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 like, there's, there's something to be said for that. Right. Know your audience, I think, is, is and Rick Jenneret was very good with that when he was uh, running the PR for the Otters. And I see their latest guys gone now eh? from from Erie. Yeah. Aaron Cooney Aaron gone Cooney. to the San Diego Cooney. goals. If you're going to go, I'll go to San Diego, boys. 
was, Erie to San Diego. It's a decent that, upgrade. Yeah, you'll you'll notice when you come out of the parking lot after the game. <laughs> <laughs> we we came out after one game in Erie and couldn't get the bus out of the parking lot. There was no snow on the ground when we went into the game. When we came out of the game, you couldn't get into the bus because there was so much snow. Oh, I that remember a night. Yeah, I remember a night like that in Owen Sound just a couple of seasons ago. Chris got stranded up there for three days. Couldn't get out of the town. Well, my youngest, son, my youngest son has been stranded up there for about six years now. <laughs> <laughs> okay, before we let you go, Gary, I, I want to go back to something you had touched on when you talked about with the Rangers, obviously, where you were working so closely, that transition that kind of happened from junior hockey team to business. And look, we are seeing that clear across the league right now. I mean, the, the teams are selling for millions of dollars. Windsor being the most recent example. Uh, how do you feel about the state of the game and the state of the league today? I wish there was a game today. Uh, I wish good. there was a league yeah. today, uh, but that's out of our control. Um, I, I My concern is the smaller markets are going to get squeezed just like they did in the 70s and, and the 80s is because players – uh, because they have agents or, I'm sorry, advisors. Uh, as long as you have players in the draft system that give you a list of where they won't go, I think that's going to really screw up. Like, I used to pick on Owen Sound a lot. Um, until I actually, uh, last year I went to a game with my son and sat in the stands, and that is an amazing atmosphere in a packed arena in Owen Sound. Um, so I, I, I appreciate what they do there a little more. I appreciate how hard they work to get where they are. But they're going to get the. Uh, for example, you take a let's let's go back to Boyd Devereaux. Would he have reported to Owen Sound? I don't know because his his focus was university then. There's no university in Owen Sound. There was no e-learning then. But I think players directing where they would go and where they wouldn't go early on. I think that's back, and I think that's wrong. I don't think you're ever going to have equity in the league un, until that draft system is fixed, and um, you either report or you don't play. Uh, if there's ever a player's union, the league's done. If they ever have to pay minimum wage, the league's done because towns like Owen Sound and the, the smaller areas like Barrie, the, and, and I've heard this from a couple of hockey people, if, if there was ever a player's union in junior hockey, the first thing that would happen is all those quote-unquote perks, they'd be taken away. So you would have players like, hey, co- coach, my skates are falling apart. We'll buy another pair. You know what I mean? Like you would have to be really well connected with a skate company or, or a pro prospect to get that level of treatment. Uh, so I think that's an issue. I think arena size is always going to be an issue. I think if Owen Sound had a bigger arena, they'd still fill it. But a town that size can't justify a bigger arena. I think as long as the Londons and the Windsors and the Kitcheners and the Ottawas can command that. I mean, we're very fortunate here with two universities and a highly ranked college. London's got the same thing going with Western and Fanshawe, Ottawa, Kingston. These are places that can offer that because you got to remember what percentage of these players are going to the NHL. It's not big. It's not a big number at all. So I think you really have to somehow come up with a formula that's going to make it more fair for those smaller markets, or you're going to lose them. And then you're going to end up with an eight, eight city league. And that's the part of the majesty of the, the Ontario hockey league is, where these towns where, where, where you, these towns are. I'd love to see Cornwall get a team again. I'd love to see Brantford get a team again. But I wouldn't want 
to see a team move. I don't want to see a team gain at another team's loss. If you're going to get a team in Brantford, if you're going to get a team in Cornwall, you're going to get a team in Chatham, it should be a new franchise. It should be under expansion. It shouldn't be taking somebody else's team away. It shouldn't be like Mr. Simmons in Belleville, who got a bad arena deal and took the team to Hamilton. Like Hamilton should have been in the league anyway. There's no way they should have taken Belleville's team to do it. Belleville took them a year, but they got a pretty good hockey club there now in the, in the uh, American Hockey League. But you can't do that to these towns. Like you, These fans are so vested. Um, Windsor, I think one of the one – I'm so glad that they filled that rink because that fan base was so accustomed to going to that old rink, and right, and struggling for parking and sometimes just struggling to get out of the building at the end of the night. Uh, but it was a struggle that they all associated with. And now you're in – suburbia again and you're you're, ta- you're tracking a, a different class of fan which is why i think the rangers if they do get a rebuild should try to do their best to do it town downtown i always thought the best spot was the old bud plant it would be the great spot for a new rink and kisser still might be i don't know if they ever get a new rink but you have to you have to know your audience and i think with the way steve bankowski and his crew approached it they knew their audience and they catered to them and they didn't uh, alienate them. They expanded on the base that they had. And I think that was the key to the success for the Rangers under Steve. And I give him a whole lot of credit uh, during his tenure with the Rangers. Uh, Joe Birch was a, a defenseman when I first started uh, broadcasting here. He was also way too smart to be a hockey player, we, we would say. So I'm glad he's here and I'm glad he's uh, getting the chance to contribute. But uh, let me end on that. My Don used to say about Joe Birch, because, you know, he's got a great smile. And uh, Don would say, Birchie's a good kid, but you can never take him to a funeral. <laughs> Classic. Always smiling, all the time smiling. And that's my remember. That was my introduction to Joe Birch. Good kid, but you can't take him to a funeral. Real quick, if, if you guys will let me. I, we've been talking for over an hour here, and it feels like it's been five minutes. I don't no know whether kidding. it's of our past uh, history together and whatnot. But you mentioned at the start that being on the road and calling games for – uh, 15 years with Don was an education. And uh, I like that because <clears throat> in our brief time of doing TV together and spending time in the media room, listening to you and Don go back and forth, it was an education it, listening to you guys go back and forth. And we all know you're extremely well read. I remember listening to your talk show and thinking this guy doesn't need one phone call for three hours. He's just going to tell us what he thinks and he could go for three hours and, and listening to this podcast. I don't know how many names we brought up, but has your memory always been this good? Um, let me, let me tell you a quick story on, on that one. And I, and I'll be brief a few years ago before we bought the house where we are now, we lived over on the other side of the city and you could see a grocery store from our front door. So it's maybe a, maybe a hundred yards away. And Brenda's baking, she's doing something and I'm just sitting reading a newspaper, which is what I do best when I'm not doing anything. And she says to me, I need whatever this, and I go over to the store and get this for me. So I, I said, sure. I, put on my shoes. I walked over to the store. I went in the store. I phoned my wife and said, why am I here? <laughs> and, and, and she said, quick, name the starting lineup for the 69 Expos. We both know you can. <laughs> well, that's, that's how my memory works. If, it, if it's you. of interest to me, I remember it. Fair, fair enough all around. Uh, we're going to have to do another one of these at some point, Gary, because I think there's a lot of ground to cover, but it's uh, it's been great catching up like this. 
Good to see you and doing well. The fact that you ignored a call from your doctor while you were doing this means you're okay, right? Everything's good. Well, we'll find out when I, when I listen to the message. <laughs> it's been a treat. Thanks so much for doing it. Me as well. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Doyle. All right. Be well. Jeff Woods, and I'm shining a light on music and the rock stars who make it. He just was one of those people. He, he stood out. He was a magic guy. He really was a magic guy. All, we all have force. He had the same amount of force as we all have. This was before Led Zeppelin. Robert was full on. I mean, he was Led Zeppelin without the band behind him. He had the hair, the jeans, the whole thing, you know. And he was amazing. The Records and Rockstars podcast, heard around the world and yours to hear wherever you get podcasts. All the episodes from JeffWoodsRadio.com. Another Sound Off Media Company podcast.